afternoon and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laron Landis. Patty is going to be off this week and next week. She's an election official and she's doing some of her official duties as election yep. judging. Um, our guest today is Paul J. Williams, also known as Helen Holy. Uh, Paul is here to talk about one of our former guests. Leslie Jordan had been on the show about three, four times. About three, four times. Um, always a pleasure to have him on. Mm -hmm. It was the easiest show to prepare for because we'd start the show with, and our guest is Leslie, J and he'd start. Yeah. And then the next time you heard from either Laurent or me, it was... Uh, Leslie, uh, Le Le Leslie, Le <laughs> Leslie, we, we need to take a break. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so easiest, easiest show to ever do. And we'll tell some of those Leslie stories today as we remember somebody who was a good friend to the LGBT community, specifically here in Dallas, but we weren't the only city that he raised a lot of money for. I mean, I was talking to... Melissa Grove, and uh, we were trying to estimate how much he had actually raised for legacy counseling, uh, now known as Le uh, Legacy Cares, and it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, what a valued friend. Yeah. Paul, welcome. Thank you. I wish it was under better circumstances. Well, I do too, but you know, as I've told my friends, on Monday, um, I did a lot of weeping and crying and disbelief but ever since then i've i've really been enjoying reminiscing and going through photos and videos and and texts between us over the years and just giggling and being so incredibly grateful that i had some small part in his life you mm -hmm. know it seems like everybody has a leslie story um I'm just lucky to have been a little bit closer than a lot of people were. Right. Um, you knew Leslie from working with him on cruise ships. Uh, yeah. Initially, I, I, you know, it occurred to me, I met him in the mid-90s before he got sober. I used to host karaoke at JR's on Sunday night. And when he was in Fort Worth doing the original production of Sorted Lives on stage, he would come into Dallas, and he would come into JR's just rip-roaring drunk. And I remember meeting him then, but, you know, he wasn't near the presence uh, that he became. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we, we reconnected once we started working for the RSVP uh, Gay Charters cruises. And I know you have a number of stories. Let's start off with one. Um, you met him one time uh, in Barcelona before getting on a cruise ship. And I love this story. Well, uh, yeah, we were, all of the entertainers were put up the night before at a hotel in Barcelona. And this particular trip, he had brought his mother with him. And I think his two sisters, it may have just been his mother, I can't remember. Anyway, uh, I ran into them in the lobby the, the, as they were getting there that night. And he introduced Apparently, we'd already knew, known each other because he introduced his mother to me as a fine Baptist, you know. Uh, and she just kind of looked at me like, okay. Uh, but the next morning, before we were boarding the ship, the, the hotel provided breakfast. And so I went down, and it was a buffet of Spanish tapas-type breakfast stuff, you know, 
not an American breakfast per se. Leslie walked in, and I waved him over to sit down with me. And he went over and looked at the buffet, and he came back to the table, and he said, I don't really see anything I like. I'm just going to I'm gonna go over to that little store across the street and get some coffee. Well, apparently there was a Spanish high school rugby team, boys rugby team, staying in the hotel. And they all came down for breakfast at that same time. And Leslie and I watched all of them. And then Leslie looked back at me and he said, you know, I can probably find something here to eat. <laughs> uh, Sounds like Leslie. Oh, my God, I laughed. <laughs> Do you know one of my favorite Leslie stories? It was one that he told, and each time he told it, the story got bigger and bigger. Sure. But he loved telling the story about uh, his father took him to uh, sit on Santa's lap, and this was when he was maybe four or five years old. Uh, and he wanted a doll. He wanted a bride doll. Uh, okay. Very specific. Tell the story, because I'm sure you've heard it even more times than oh, I Oh, yeah. Have. He told Santa Claus he had seen this bride doll in a store. And so he told Santa Claus he wanted a bride doll. And so his daddy took him home and told his mother. And he said his father was like, we are not getting him a doll for Christmas. Now, his father was a major in the A lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, I believe. And so a big, butch, military Mm -hmm. man, you know. And as Leslie used to say, not the son he might have dreamed for. (laughs) Um, But anyway, uh, his mother kind of went, well, maybe he'll just forget about it. Well, on New Year's Eve, Leslie was chattering on about how Santa Claus was bringing him a bride doll. And his mother pulled his father aside and he said, are you going to disappoint this child? Now, here's where the story gets always a little bit more elaborate. Mm -hmm. You know, that his father went out in the snow and found the last One foot of snow. Next time I heard it, it was two feet of snow. (laughs) Next time I heard it, it was such a blizzard, no cars could move. Right. You know, but and found the very last bride doll, you know. Uh, But on Christmas morning... Uh, and this is according to Leslie, when he came downstairs and saw that bride doll sitting in front of the uh, Christmas tree, he just squatted down and peed. (laughs) (laughs) Which, as Leslie says, says a lot about what he was like as a kid. (laughs) But it also says what kind of family he came from. You know, his father, being a military officer, went out in the snow to make sure that his son got the present that he wanted. Right. Even though it wasn't what he would have wanted his son to have. You know, and and when I think about all of his stories, um, I I choose to believe that that's true, but, but let's play devil's advocate. Even if that didn't happen, that exemplifies what he thought of his parents Mm -hmm. you know i do know that he was extraordinarily fond of his father Mm -hmm. and and never really got over the fact that he died when leslie was only 11 in a plane crash um so i don't know he just there's just such a fondness for his parents Mm -hmm. when his mom died uh just a few months ago um i i texted him and i really i 
I saw that he was like making appearances and still posting on Instagram, and I said, "You're really prodding through this. I I would be a mess." He said, "I have to stay busy, mm-hmm. or you know, I'll fall apart." Yeah, um, different people handle grief differently, but it's certainly an appropriate way to handle grief uh, by keeping busy. Um, in some ways, that honors the person. Sure. That you've lost because that's the person, it, especially a parent, has taught you to stay busy, to stay active, to be do something meaningful, mm-hmm. and to continue doing those meaningful things is a great way to honor. Th- and that. his mother was so proud of him, you know, in her own way. She was still that good little Baptist woman from Chattanooga, Tennessee, but very loving um one of my other favorite stories was we were doing a cruise together and this was when i was still uh, i wasn't cruise directing yet i was part of the entertainment staff and was still doing stand-up and uh the uh ship would always set up a camera in the back of the theater to film statically the show, and they would play it in the rooms the next day for people who didn't get a chance to go uh, to the show the night before. So, (laughs) Leslie called me in my room, and he said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, I just called my mother. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm watching you on the TV. He said, Mama, I haven't done my show yet. Mm. Well, yes, you are there. You are in those pink pants on the TV. He said, I turned that TV on. He said, Paul, it was you from last night. My mama can't tell the difference between you and me. I told her she better turn that off or she's going to hear something she didn't want to hear. Wow. (laughs) I love that story. And that was one that you had told me for the story that we had written in the Dallas Voice. Right. Uh, That article in Dallas Voice had gotten so long and unwieldy that... It had to um, be edited. Because, yeah, yeah, so I didn't get to tell that one. <laughs> you know, you say, you know, he had, he wanted to keep busy, um, and busy he was. Good Lord, he has a, like, a lengthy film career and TV career. Uh, I know most people, probably the general public, will associate him with his role on Will and Grace. We knew them way, way before then, but um, his career goes back to the 80s. He's been working for a very long time. You know, I'd love to, uh, this doesn't get talked about that often, but uh, my, I make no bones about the fact that my idol and inspiration has always been Lily Tomlin. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I was in seventh grade, I was imitating Edith Ann in the school talent show. I mean, hello. Um, uh, Lily uh, has a big handprint on Leslie's career. When he first decided to do, I think it was my trip down the pink carpet, uh, which was an off-Broadway show, it was Lily that produced it. Oh, I didn't She thought that. he was the deal. And then um, Linda Bloodworth Thomason, who had been, you know, the, the brains behind Designing Women and Filthy Rich and Woman of the House and mm-hmm. these great sitcoms, was developing a sitcom for HBO with Leslie and Lily that took place in Dallas and they were playing these two real estate uh, realtors uh, and it was going to be called 
12 miles of bad road. <laughs> and uh, the studios didn't pick it up, which was shocking uh. with Lily's name behind it. Mm-hmm. It's funny, years later after the, uh, the Harvey Weinstein thing came out, um, Linda took out a, an ad in The Hollywood Reporter. Um, and, and, and I don't want to get the details incorrect here, but essentially what she was saying was uh, that she was blackballed by, by Harvey and some of the other people in the business because she was a strong woman. And they didn't like her outspokenness and whatnot. And so she said, while it was not a technical Me Too moment of uh, uh, inappropriateness, uh, they took it out on her in a career-wise, and that that was one of the shows that she got punished for. Hmm. You know, mm. so I just think about, oh my God, would that have not been hilarious to have yeah, Lily and have Leslie been. in a show together? Yeah. That would have been wonderful. Yeah. That show. Um, well, look at Harvey Farstein now. Well, hello. Yeah, karma. <laughs> um. Leslie uh, just affected so many different people. Uh, this week, as I was going through pictures of different times that he was here, um, every picture is a picture of him with his arm around the person who he's taking a picture with, and he is not just smiling for the camera. He is laughing and happy and delighted to be with each and every one of those fans. Absolutely. You know, I truly believe Leslie loved being a celebrity. Mm-hmm. He loved the attention. You know, he was still that little country kid from Chattanooga who made it big. And uh, he, we were on a cruise one time, and I remember... One of us had said something about, you know, being in a bad mood and not wanting to go do a show, but that the minute you hit stage, everything comes together. And, and, uh, and he, he said that. He goes, you know, I could be having the worst day and not want to make people laugh and not want to do my show, but coming on stage brings me life. And so from then on, when he'd come off stage or I'd see him later in the day, I'd be like, did you have a good time? He said, oh, God, it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, he loved performing. It brought him alive. It brought him alive, exactly. So, yeah. But he was also, you know, he loved being a celebrity, but he was obviously, he was obviously a genuine people person. Oh, absolutely. You can't fake those photos. You know, when I met him, he was just, just as happy as could be. And like I said, with the thing about a, that I wrote about him on Facebook... If you were having a bad day, you knew you were going to be lifted up by the end of the day if you're hanging with Leslie. Mm-hmm. You know? And I love that picture of you with him. It was taken right around this table, yeah, uh, which was back in one of our old right, studios. Right, right. Um, but your arm is just around him, and he's just yeah in yeah. the middle of performing. Yeah, he's, but he loved everybody. You know, so. something I've noticed on all of these tributes to him since he's passed. They keep talking about how he was four foot eleven. Mm-hmm. As long as I've known him, I never knew he was only four foot eleven. I mean, I knew he was short, but I don't think of him as that short. I thought he was like five two or something. You know, I mean, not a big difference. But 
just to see it in print, four foot eleven is short. Yeah, he was short, and it mm-hmm. just never occurred to me because he, he was such a big person. He yeah. was a big presence. I. <laughs> but he he talked a lot about that's kind of what got him developed his his his, his uh, comedic timing to ward off the bullies. He was so little, easy to bully, and he made them laugh. You know, he told the story that when he first moved to L.A., he got called for an audition to, it was actually for the U.S. Army, to encourage people to join the Army. And they they hired him because they wanted this little impish leprechaun Mm. type thing, you know. So he went into the audition and was himself. Well, then when he booked it, he thought, oh, my God, I'm, this is for the Army. I better butch this up. So they went in to, do, to actually do the f- filming of the commercial, and he was butching it up. The casting director was like, who? what happened to the guy that auditioned for that little, oh, you want that? <laughs> you know, he just was so scared yeah. that he wasn't coming across as an Army guy. But, honey, that's what got you the gig. And this right. was during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Well, it was before Don't Ask, before, Don't Tell. It yeah. was in the 80s when he first got out to L.A. You Th- know? That's what's so remarkable about his success. He did it being himself. Right. And a lot of people couldn't, or were not able to do that, but he did. But well, that nobody was... else was Leslie. Yeah. Nobody else was 4'11 mm-hmm. with a heavy southern accent. You know? <laughs> What, who, who, what central casting has that? Right. And fell out of the womb into his mother's high heels, <laughs> as he said, used to say. Yes. One of the funniest parts about his role as Beverly Leslie in Will and Grace was that he was playing a closeted gay man. <laughs> and the joke, of course, was here's somebody who was always out and obviously always out. Right. And you couldn't mistake him for right. being straight. Right. Yeah. So, but until his last episode, he was not out. You know, it, the character. The character. Yeah. The character, yeah. yeah. This is my business associate, Benji. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, he's always told the story about auditioning for that role. And, you know, again, Leslie's such a storyteller. I, the, the line sometimes I, I just want to go was that completely true but I don't care it was a great story mm-hmm. uh, and that is when he tells the story that uh, Beverly Leslie was supposed to have been played by Joan Collins and there was a that early on there was a scene where uh, Car- uh, Megan Mullally mm-hmm. and Joan Collins were supposed to have this dynasty type fight on a pool table and pull each other's wigs off. <laughs> and apparently, uh, Joan's agent said, well, Miss Collins will have no part of this. You know, uh, and so they said, fine, we'll book somebody else. And didn't really have, they were going to look for another woman. And they, Leslie came in to read for something, and they went, ah, Beverly Leslie. <laughs> you know, so... He used to laugh about the fact that he beat out Joan Collins for this role, but he was willing to do what they wanted. Sure. And I mean, that's, that's the way he was uh, when he worked with Legacy. We need to take a break, and we'll talk about okay. that afterwards. We're going to come back with a song. I'll introduce it. 
when we come back. When we come back. Should I just play it directly from the... No, I'll let you do the first thing. For, okay. Yeah. okay. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laurent Landis, and our guest is Paul J. Williams, and we're talking about... I was going to say, and we're talking about Beverly Leslie. <laughs> I'm Christina from the Owens, and I listen to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet, and I'm here with Laurent Landis. Patty will be back with us in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're talking with Paul J. Williams about uh, Leslie Jordan, who passed away on Monday. Yeah. Uh, he had been a guest on Lambda Weekly several times, did a lot of fundraising in Dallas for Legacy Cares. Um, we're going to play a song. What is so Leslie, in, in, in perfect Leslie Jordan fashion, he was a man of jack of all trades, apparently. I guess towards the end of his career, he started a music career. <laughs> Who knew? He was a big fan of country music, and he recorded this. He actually, he's recorded a full album, and this is a single from it that I just adore. I'm not a big fan of country music, but this was one that's hard to like. It's a tr- it's a trio with a uh, country singer. Chris Stapleton and his wife, um, Morgan Stapleton. It's a great song. Here it is, uh, called Farther Along. Oh, sometimes I do not feel worthy. Where's Vasco when you need her? Tempted and tried, we off made the wonder. Why it should be us all the day long While there are others living amongst us Never molested, though in the wrong
Okay, Paul. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> yeah, Toad is a great song. You know, for those of us who grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, that is a good old Southern gospel song. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, that my grandmother, my mother's mom, wanted that played at her funeral, and, and we did. I don't remember if somebody actually sang it, but to hear Leslie, and that's the first time I've heard it, to hear him um, not only singing, but, you know, kind of almost testifying in the background, I, I just, what a, what, a, what a loss. Yeah. What a, and it's, it's really, you know, it's just very emotional. You know, what I was thinking when I heard that was I could just see uh, Leslie saying to himself and to everybody else, you know, I should record an album. <laughs> yep. Well, And know, did it. And he did. Yep. Oh, of course. Yep. Of course. Because why shouldn't he do something that he felt he needed to do? <laughs> well, I think it kind of started as a part of his Instagram because he started doing these Sunday hymn sings on Instagram with a couple of uh, Nashville musicians that he had met, and it was just having fun, you know, mm-hmm. singing old hymns. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, much like Leslie, you know, we can uh, let go of the negative stuff that we learned in church growing up, but there's a lot of it that sticks with you. And with as with me, it's the music. And so he was having fun doing those Sunday hymn sings, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if, if it was his idea or if someone else said, well, you should record these. You know, and then the, the people that lined up to record, I mean, he recorded with Dolly Parton, for gosh sake. <laughs> and when he died, her precious tweet ended with, you know, I'll, I'll miss you, little brother. Mm-hmm. Leslie was amazed that he got to meet and work with Dolly Parton. He was still in awe, you know, of these other big stars. Mm-hmm. It was so precious. I heard an interview where I guess he had been asked, what does he want to be remembered as? And he said he wanted to be remembered just like Dolly Parton. Everybody oh, loved her. Everybody is an, an angel. And I, I, would say he, I would say he achieved that. Oh, I, I know he did. Anybody who met him yeah. has a picture of themselves with him with his arm around them and he is happy and smiling mm-hmm. and laughing mm-hmm. <laughs> I have one picture after a legacy event where I was performing as Sister Helen and uh, it makes me giggle because it's one of the few pictures I have of Leslie where he's not giggling and laughing and I don't know if he did this intentionally but here I am, this gargant- gargantuan Baptist woman with a hat and everything, and he is sidled up to me, you know, like he's cold or something, with this uh, just look of deer in headlights on his face that is so funny to me. Uh, and it's just like, well, yeah, most of the time he was smiling, but... At first, I got that picture, and I thought, oh, my God, he doesn't want to be in that photo. Then I realized he's being silly, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right, just being himself. There is a picture that we used in the voice of him interviewing you. (laughs) Okay, first of all, let's talk about that photo. That was taken on a Vakaya cruise, which is 
one of the, the newest um, LGBT charter companies and a company I work with, and they are just doing a splendid job uh, in the LGBT travel market. Um, but this was the inaugural cruise in 2019. Um, there was a private reception for all of the guests who had used Sister Helen's special code when they booked their trip. Uh, long story, but anyway, uh, this a special reception. And so I asked Leslie, and he was working on the cruise too, I said, listen, I have to do this thing for my people, if you will. Um, would you do it with me and you interview me? for a change he said oh I'd love to I think that'd be fun so um, somebody took a picture of the two of us sitting on this couch together it was outside on a, a deck of the ship when the picture uh, that was going around of Bernie Sanders at the inauguration I think it was you know just sitting there with his earmuffs on and his gloves and what people were superimposing that picture everywhere and somebody superimposed that in between me and Leslie that cracked me up um, but it was true it was completely improvised and that's the way I wanted it mm -hmm. and so he sits down on the couch with me and, and I was like now brother Leslie you and I have worked together many times but uh, and I have interviewed you and your ministry but you have never given you the opportunity to ask questions of me do you have anything that the Lord has laid on your heart well unbeknownst to me he had prepared so he says yes and I have some notes here and he pulls this piece of paper out of his back pocket and starts reading questions and the, the first one, he was like, Helen, in this day of Me Too, I have, it, have you ever experienced that kind of inappropriate behavior from someone? Has, have you had your own Me Too movement? And boy, I ran with it. I did this whole buildup. I'm so glad you asked me that, and I've never talked about this before, and, and I'm glad we have this opportunity for me to finally come clean, and the truth of the matter is... No, no one ever has, and I'm a little upset about it. <laughs> and from there, I mean, it just steamrolled. He was asking what my favorite scripture was, and, you know, we just bantered. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into, uh, Leslie tried to make it a Q&A. He said, does anybody have any questions? Well, no one was coming forth. So we both sat there and just started telling stories. And, 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 I, and he, I got him to tell the story about his mother seeing me on TV. <laughs> and that video, fortunately, is linked on Helen's Facebook page, Helen Holy. You can watch the whole video. And it's not for Sunday school because he would get a little risque. You know, <laughs> Helen never would. But, <laughs> but it's, I, it's one of those things I'm so grateful I have on video. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's one of those things you can never recreate, really. Uh, and a great memory to have of him. Um, I, I want to go back to the song. Um, did did he tell you when he was about to record this album? No. I well, I was going through my text the other day, and he does. He did tell me that it was. Oh, I had sent him uh, a text after one of his Instagram videos, telling him how much I loved it because it was an old song like that that we all knew. And he said, 
there's going to be more. And he said, I'm doing an album. Just wait. So I knew that it was coming, but I didn't know when or, or certainly how many celebrities he was going to get on it. You know? Yeah. But people lined up to want to be a part of it. Well, it's, I mean, Leslie Jordan doing gospel is a different approach to gospel. <laughs> well, truly. But, you know, as I said, he came by it naturally, much yeah. like I did growing up. Oh, sure. Up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, for all of the, the, the religious abuse we may have experienced at the hands of the church, there's still a lot of great memories. If oh. you want, you can go to YouTube. There's a recording of them recording this song. There's, oh. there's a video, sorry. A video of, of them recording this song together. And at, at the end, he kind of gets choked up a little bit. But you can just tell he's thoroughly enjoying himself recording this song. Mm. It's great. Yeah, this was in February of 2021. I said, your hymn singing is giving me life. Thank you. And he said, an album is forthcoming. Just you wait. And then he sent me a picture uh, from, I don't know where they were, a recording. But he says, this here is Travis Howard, who's putting an album together. Ain't he a cutie? And then also in the picture is his very closest friend, Michael. Uh, who's just a beautiful man. And he goes, and then there's that other one in the picture. He looks all right, too. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, he was getting excited about it. Yeah. You know, he, it, it, it's one of those things that Leslie could say, oh, yeah, an album is forthcoming. And I would think the response to that would be, oh, yeah, good. Right. You know, lots of people sing gospel. Lots of people sing music from church just... It's what you hum. It's what what you enjoy. But an album is forthcoming. Yeah, 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 Leslie. Okay, sure, good. Right. And that he really did, you know. And, and I didn't even know if it was out or not. I, I've got to go get a copy now so I can laugh and weep through mm-hmm. the whole thing. Yeah. You know, laughter yeah. through tears is my favorite emotion. If you didn't know I was gay before, if I start quoting Steel Magnolias, you'll know it now. <laughs> that was the other remarkable thing about Leslie is that, you know, like I said earlier, he had a very lengthy film and TV career, way more than what the, most people know or realize. Um, but he was always out way before fashionable or, you know, or acceptable. Or in acceptable. And but he was able to be himself and, and make it despite being little despite not being your, your i guess typical hollywood physical and dare leading I say star because of yeah and not yeah. only in spite but because but of because of that made mm-hmm. him unique yep mm-hmm. yeah you know and that was a wonderful thing when del shores uh who you know leslie was like del's muse he wrote mm-hmm. brother boy for him and in, in mm-hmm. sorted lives um when it was decided they were going to do the premiere of the stage production of Assorted Wedding here in Dallas, Dell asked me a year and a half in advance. He said, I want you to play Brother Boy. And I was very reticent because I didn't want to take on a role that so identified with a particular person. Mm-hmm. And so Dell said, You nervous about it? Call Leslie and talk to him. So I did. And I said, this doesn't feel right. You know, I don't want to do you 
doing Brother Boy, and he was so encouraging. Oh, girl, make it your make it your own, honey. You'll be fabulous. So when we actually did it in our first dress rehearsal, I sent pictures to him of me dressed as Tammy Wynette, I mean, as uh, Dolly Parton and Loretta Lynn. <laughs> he wrote back and goes, oh, now, you look real pretty in drag. You should consider a career move. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, and, and let me, I have to share a touching moment uh, with Leslie. Leslie made no bones about his sobriety. Uh, mm-hmm. He had been sober 25 years, I believe, when he passed. And that was a part of my journey. Uh, but I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't get sober until 2015. Um, and he knew of my struggles. And he knew that just before I went to rehab in 2015, uh, I had some rather dire stuff going on uh, that could have threatened my life. And after I got out of rehab, the next time I saw him was in November at the Majestic. And he was talking to somebody, and he saw me out of the corner of his eye, and he came right up to me, and he he grabbed both my arms, and he said, I'm so glad you didn't die. Hmm. That is a completely different side of Leslie. Yeah. That in the midst of it, because he understood the struggle of what it's like to medicate the demons in your head, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. We need to take a break. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Lauren Landis. Our guest is Paul J. Williams, also known as Helen Holy, also known as Brother Boy. <laughs> we'll be back with more Lambda Weekly right after this. Hi, this is Candy Markham, and I listen to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM. Listen. And Candy will be our guest next week on the show. Uh, Candy had uh, a good comment about um, uh, about Leslie. Uh, she said he was authentic, not an act. That's oh. how she described him. Absolutely. Yeah. That as much as he was always on, that was just him. It was just him. Yeah. Oh yeah, you did what you saw on screen or on stage. That was him. Mm-hmm. I mean. We all have moments where we're just like, ugh, I want to stay in my room. And God knows he had them. But by and large, that wasn't an act. Mm -hmm. That's who he was. And, you know, even though we all know him as the funny man, always on, let's not forget, Leslie was a talented actor. He knew how to play a different role when when it came time. I thought his best performance... Hands down, it was a tearjerker, as, as funny as the role was, was in Sorted Lives. Um, and I talked to him, I remember talking to him about that, and like, that really surprised me. And he said, yeah, I kind of surprised myself, too. And, you know, but he was a talented actor. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, Sorted Lives, um, Southern Baptist Sissies, Assorted Wedding, all of those were written by Del Shores. And Del and Leslie's careers were intertwined. Do you know how they met? And Dell has been on our show several times, uh-huh. also. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, I want to say that Dell met him at an audition, but I honestly don't know the true answer to that. But I do know that, and Dell has said this: that when he first met Leslie, he was like, "I want to work with you." 
Um, and, and I believe he wrote Brother Boy mm-hmm. and Southern Baptist Sissies with Leslie in mind because they shared a similar upbringing. Uh, Dell and I were actually at Baylor together. He was a senior when I was a freshman. And while I never knew him, uh, we've often joked that we have that uh, good little Baptist boy at Baylor uh, reputation in our background. Yeah, it's too bad Patty's not on today. Yeah, because she, she's she's also, Patty's Baylor, also a Baylor girl, ba- right? Baylor alumni, yeah. One of those alums that the school sued for trying to raise money for them. That's right. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. that's another story for another show. <laughs> <laughs> We've told that story uh, a number of times. Um, okay, so this is Brian had a picture with Leslie. Um, Leslie was in uh, Southern Baptist Sissies. So this is a Brian story, just stream of consciousness there, but how I got to it. Um, Emerson was on our show, Emerson Collins, who was a producer and one of the stars of Southern Baptist Sissies. So he was on our show, and that night they were doing a preview of the movie at the Texas Theater. So Brian and I go to the Texas Theater and we're standing. Emerson sees me, he comes over, we're sitting, we're talking. And Brian, who didn't always pay attention, uh, you know, he's just talking and enjoying the conversation. We go in, the movie starts, and Brian is like, isn't that who we were just talking to? (laughs) He had no clue. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. But that was Brian. Um, I, I love the fact that, that uh, and I, I so envy Del Shores for the special relationship he had with Leslie. And, and they really did thrive off of each other. What I was going to say was, I can't think of another actor whose first major role on film was as a drag queen who went on to mainstream television. I'm glad you said major role because, you know, he had a lot of success, whether it be commercials or guest spots on television. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, Dell had just come off the success of his film Daddy's Dying, Who's Got the Will, Mm -hmm. which had mainstream success. Uh, And so when he wrote Sorted Lives, uh, while it has historically developed a cult following, uh, it was still a... It was a mainstream film. A mainstream film. But I mean, with a role like uh, Brother Boy. Uh, Dell sent me a copy of an article that was in the Houston Chronicle last week that was so beautiful. And the, the writer of the article was talking about, for all of Leslie's um, roles and, and remembrances, that he believed it was that role as Brother Boy in the original Sorted Lives, which was his finest work. Yep. The nuance behind it, that it could have been a caricature of a role, but that Leslie imbued it with such empathy and, mm-hmm. and pathos, as well as humor. Uh, he truly thought that was an award-winning role. I agree. He should have been nominated at the very least. And I agree. There was just something behind it. And he wasn't a drag queen. No, you know he was uh, his fa- in the in the in the show. His family had committed him to this uh, mental hospital because he worshipped Tammy Wynette and he liked to dress up and perform as her. 
Now, if you want to call that a drag queen, fine, but really his family put him in there to protect him from the West Texas bullies. Mm -hmm. But then to leave him in there his whole life, even as an adult, you know, that's where Leslie's pathos came out that he finally said, I'm not doing this anymore, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and it's it's in one of the scenes with his therapist, where the therapist is just nuts, you know. Nuts. And he finally stops. You know, he's agreed to do everything she says. And he finally stops and turns around and goes, no. No, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to participate in my recovery because this is a joke. Mm-hmm. And it's that moment where he just gets so vulnerable and it's beautiful. And one of the best scenes in the movie is when he finally, well, he breaks out, but he gets help to be breaking out. And what he says, that I can't repeat on the air, but it's a great scene. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> and it was such a great partnership with Dell and uh, Leslie because it's in the writing. Absolutely. Uh, Leslie did not improvise that at all. It's what he did with it. It's what he did with it yeah. uh, as far as an, being an actor. Yep. And when um, we were doing Sorted Wedding, Dell directed that. And there was a couple of times where Dell stressed to me. He said, look, this is a funny role. But he said, uh, brother boy, find some, empath- find some pathos in him. You know? mm-hmm. And I get it because he, he was a real character mm-hmm. who lived a rough life at the hands of his family mm-hmm. um do you know the story of how uh leslie hooked up with dallas to raise money for legacy yes uh and that was a joe pacetti connection uh joe pacetti our friend and uh friend friend to many charities here in town had met leslie in la at a benefit out there and uh leslie was performing and Joe just unabashedly went up to him and said, "You're fantastic. You know, would would you would you come to Dallas and do a benefit for us?" And of course, Leslie rarely said no. Sure, I'd love to. You know, uh, and there was planning on being a, a one-time thing, and it became an ongoing. Became annual. One thing, Melissa Grove, who's the former director of Legacy Cares. Uh, said about him was he was so much not a diva we could book him the penthouse of the Vendome on Turtle Creek uh, where only uh, maybe 100, 150 people fit Uh, we could book the Majestic Theater Uh, one time uh, the performance was at Theater 3 we also held it at the Weisfeld Center at the Weisfeld Center a couple of times I think Right. Um, didn't matter where it was Leslie was like fine yeah Right. And, and, you know, he just, he loved performing. And I don't know if what kind of obligation he felt, but he just kept coming back. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to be able to open for him on numerous occasions. And to go out to that audience that's so fired up to see Leslie Jordan, so they're already ready to laugh. And to be able to go out there and get their attention and make them laugh and get them ready for Leslie, what a treat, mm-hmm. you know? Okay, and I know you've told this story before, but you haven't been on our show in about 10 years, so tell us how you, you started your comedy career. 
Oh, dear God. Um, <laughs> uh, I know. I'm just kind of throwing that at you. Well, there's so many layers to it. I'm, I'm, uh, when I got out of college, I went into retail and worked for Sanger Harris. I wanted to be a department store homosexual. <laughs> um, and in the mid-'80s, we all know the economy tanked, so I lost my job. And I lost another job. And then I thought, at this point, I want to do something I really want to do. And that was to be a performer of any kind. And I tried everything. I did theater. I did studio singing. I did, you know, uh, whatever. And as a part of a theater uh, program I was in at the old Dallas Alliance Theater, I was encouraged with two other people to form a comedy group to, in, to um, capitalize on the late night crowd at this theater. Um, and so we had a three-man comedy troupe that we called Less Miserable. That was myself, Stephen Crabtree, and Pat Skinner, thinking mm -hmm. we'd be, oh, we'd do a couple of shows, and that's it. And we ended up going six years performing in Provincetown and New York City and, and, and West Hollywood. And, you know, it was fun. And we each got to a point where they, we had a different goal for Less Miserable, and they, none of them were the same. And so I, for better or worse, decided to go out on my own as a stand-up. And um, I did, and I did that for a long time. But in the late 80s, when I was doing singing telegrams here in Dallas, which was miserable, um, <laughs> I was asked to imitate Dana Carvey's church lady that they could send out as a singing telegram. I didn't know if I could do it, but I did, and it became so popular that I was no longer working for the Singing Telegram Company. I'm doing these gigs on my own for these big charity events in town, you know. And after a while, I realized I don't want to make money off Dana Carvey's work. So I completely changed the name, stopped doing his catchphrases, uh, and it's developed into these 30 years that I've done Sister Helen now uh, that was originally inspired by Dana Carvey. So much so that I got... I quit doing stand-up because I wasn't writing anything new, and I was getting bored with my own material. So um, that, in turn, took me to Leslie, and what a treat that's been. Is what To do Sister Helen, your, guy, your different persona, is it hard to keep it up after all these years? Not really, because it's a satire of evangelical Christianity. And what the problem occurs when people miss the satire and think that it's serious because it can then come across as racist or you know misogynistic well not any number of mm -hmm. issues but it's satire and i'm turning some of that evangelical narrow-mindedness on its head and being able to laugh Absolutely. about it yeah and as long as there's news going on in this world You'll yeah, always have some material. I always have, because I write a weekly blog as her, which mm -hmm. is her Christian perspective on the news. You know, keeps me always fresh. Well, and in front of an audience, you're involving the audience. So. And it's all improvised. You know, I mean, I have some standard jokes that I tell. Sure. But so much of it is improvised. You know, one of the biggest laughs I got opening for Leslie one time, uh, somebody, a, a, a couple walked in late, and they were right down in front. And it was an African-American woman and her husband. And I saw her, and she was, you know, middle-aged, a little matronly looking. And I just immediately went, oh, Isabel Sanford's with us, ladies and gentlemen. What? 
an obscure reference, but everybody got it, and it got one of the biggest laughs of my whole set. <laughs> that is hilarious. For those who don't know, Isabel Samper played uh, George Jefferson's wife on The Jeffersons. <laughs> Louise Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I wasn't even there, and it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but there will never be another Leslie, and I hope there never is, because that just makes him all the more special. Yeah, he was a very he was a very special person to everybody who was who met him. Yeah. I mean, the reaction here in Dallas and last time he was on our show, he said, "You know, my manager has uh asked that I limit the number of shows that I do, so I'm only going to be doing shows in three cities now." And I said, well, thank you for choosing Dallas as one of those cities. He said, oh, no, you don't understand. Dallas isn't one of the cities. I said, you do know you're going to be here tomorrow night, right? <laughs> and, you know, he just, it's, yeah, it's hard for him to say no. Yeah. You know, but. Uh, well, and his answer was, well, I love Melissa. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. You know, what, what a treat that, as I said at the beginning, I had some small part that our lives intersected. Um, as I said, I've been going through texts from him over the m- years, and oh, some texts I would love to read, but I can't read on the air because they're just <laughs> hilarious. Well, we're out of time. I want to thank you for being with us. <laughs> thank you. And for reminiscing about Leslie with us. Thank you. I've loved it. And for all of us here at Lambda Weekly, have a good week. Candy Markham's our guest next week, and have a good week.